0: All right, all right. Thank you, Amanda, for joining. Uh, I'm actually, I'm very excited, you know, <laughs> that you decided to be my first guest here. So th- this will be amazing. Um, so first I wanna start off, uh, please, you know, let myself know and the audience know uh, about yourself, about your company uh, and essentially the background story and then, you know, how you guys got started.
1: Okay. So my name's Ama- my name's Amanda. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I, um, I've i always had an entrepreneurial background. I think my first business started at the age of nine. I, uh, I stole the drinks at my parents' restaurant's fridge and I set up a little drink stall at the top of the eighth hole of a golf course near our house in Portugal. <laughs> and I was doing quite well until security moved me on. My dad said it was an incredibly proud moment. But I've always kind of had this love of business and I, you know, I, I kind of always knew I was going to end up working for myself. And I kind of did that from quite a young age. I mean, at 18, I had a babysitting service. <laughs> you know, there was always a way to make money, you know, and I, I just yeah. love the thrill of it. So I first started an e-commerce website called Style Bible, which was way too early. Like timing is one of my tips I'm going to give you. If you've got a brilliant idea, but it's too late or too early that's the kind of issue mm. and then I went back to corporate life for a while and I was really looking for an interesting project that I could sink my teeth into and I've always had a love of jewelry especially vintage jewelry because it tells such a gorgeous story like it has provenance and history and I think it does. we live in a world where what we buy and how we buy it really says quite a lot about us and we have so much waste already that it kind of didn't make sense to me that there wasn't an online platform for vintage jewelry, like specialists, that people that you would trust to, you know, curate incredible jewelry for you. So that's what I did. Um, at the sort of November 2020, I launched omnique.com and it's a vintage marketplace for um, jewelry. And it's been a roller coaster gotcha. year. Um, and I've, you know, I've, I've built other websites before Then I've been in, I've been a sort of the e-commerce side like you for 25 years. I've, I've worked on all sorts of weird and wonderful and quite famous brands. And I'm really excited to be able to share some of the learnings that I've had over the years.
0: Gotcha. And then I have a, I have an interesting question for you. So when you first came up with this idea, did you take the time to look and see, you know, were there other competitors in this space? How large were they, how small were they? Did you consider that when you got started?
1: Yeah, I mean, I like, actually sometimes the R&D process of deciding what you're gonna do is is some of the most fun bits, you know? It's just the bit where you get excited and you get creative and you start looking at the possibilities of what you can do and what other people are doing and how you fit mm-hmm. in that market. That for me is, is some of the most, it, they're the most important foundations because You need to plan. You need to know what you're going to build, who you're building it for, what you're, you know, where you're sort of all of all the aspects, depending. It depends on what kind of site that you're building. But yeah, for me, that's super important.
0: Got you. And then and uh, and you don't have to mention the names if there were any competitors at the time. But when you look for those, did you say, hey, you know, they might be doing something a little similar, but this is where I have an edge difference and I can kind of maneuver them a bit differently and be more appealing.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, trying to be all things to all people is I would get is almost a guaranteed way of, of, of failing. You know, you, you need to be able to see where you fit and what niche that, you, that right. you fill. And, you know, in this day and age, it's actually sometimes really hard because, you know, we're not always reinventing the wheel. There's some really great ideas out there already. Um, for me. Yeah. I did look around, you know, there's, First Dibs is a jewellery platform, but it's not just jewellery. I think they started with art and antiques and, you know, they do art and they do other categories apart from jewellery. Um, you know, there's the real real and the States, they, but they also have everything from designer sneakers to, to watches. There was nowhere that I found, and this is one of the things that made this business so interesting and so appealing, that was really dedicated to jewellery. And you know, I can't think gotcha. of a, I can't think of an industry that needs specialists more. You know, there's so many different types of gold, the, the different types of stones, the clarity, the cut, the, you know, jewelry is very specialist. And for me, that for me, it felt like what was missing was one place that didn't think about watches or jewelry or wine or collectibles. Yeah. It, it was literally just jewelry.
0: Gotcha. And I'm glad that you did do the research on what potential competitors and, you know, were out there when you got started, because I noticed that seems to be a lot of times that seems to be a hump that new entrepreneurs go through. Like, hey, this this idea already exists. You know, what can I do that's different? It's going to force them to think outside the box. And sometimes it can be a bit discouraging for them. Um, But, you know, find that unique piece that will fit your specific audience is the, you know, is the bread and butter there? Yeah, and even so then, and it wasn't that's, that's very good.
1: And it wasn't just jewelry we specialised in. Actually, it was vintage jewelry. You know, I mean, for example, contemporary jewelry is another is a whole new other market. But for me, it was about the circular economy, sustainability, using the resources that we already have on our planet, and and finding a second life for the jewelry that we have. Um, you know, one of the things yes. I you know that I love about the products that we have is that. I'm fairly confident when you buy something from our website, it's not going to end up in landfill. It's the kind of precious thing, which is where the name Omni comes from, that you will want to pass down to generations to come. You know, there's so many, there's beautiful jewellery out there. And I, there, you know, I love contemporary jewellery. I've got a few pieces myself, but, you know, gold-plated isn't quite the same as gold. And the value that you can get in vintage, it, 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 it's incredible.
0: Yeah, and so... Let's talk. Let's talk about your first year, because uh, you know e-commerce right now is a huge thing. Uh, we see you know uh, different advertisers things all the time, and and they usually don't tell the full picture. You know, a lot of times they tell the wins, and I think this is, that's one of the largest reasons why I wanted to do this podcast, and which is a segue. I, that's why I named it Wins, Losses, and Discoveries, yeah. because you know you get you get a lot out of the uh, losses, and you gain discoveries out of them. So, you know, let's talk about your first year. Uh, how was the first year for you? What were some small wins, some large wins, challenges as well?
1: I mean, I guess, I mean, sometimes I find it hard to differentiate between the small wins and the big wins because when you're working this many hours and everyone's pulling together, all the wins are wins. Like they, they all really count. Yes. So, I mean, I would, you know, the day that we launched, we already had a press sort of PR campaign, like warm up campaign in place. And Vogue described us as the titans of the jewellery industry coming together. That felt like a huge win on the day of launch to kind of like have Vogue validate you in print. So, but that was also because we did a lot of planning and there was, you know, so I would definitely say that you need to warm up to a launch. It's not just about, hey, we're here and then you kickstart your marketing. So a a small win was, you know, getting that organized in advance. That gave everyone a boost as, as soon as we went live. Um, the small wins was having a sale the very first day. That all preps everybody up too. You know those those are the kind of small wins that kind of are really good for morale. And then, you know, then you kind of come to some of the larger wins. And I, I'd say the larger wins are definitely getting the right PR agency because, in in this, you know, for what I'm trying to create, I need you know word of mouth. I need validation from the press. I need people to trust and. You know, that PR was so important to us and we have the most amazing PR agency. Um, She's called Emma Beckett. She is just a powerhouse of a woman and she has really embraced us as a startup. She has gone way and above the call of duty. So one of my big wins was definitely securing her services because she's been a pleasure to work with and the results have been phenomenal. You know, there are some businesses that don't necessarily need to be in Tattler and whatever else, but in my business, I really do. Mm-hmm. So that was a massive win for me. I think, and sort of continuing in that vein, I would say securing the right team. For me, again, okay. you know, some of these will be very relevant to me and what I do. But, you know, the jewelry industry can be quite hard to break into. You know, these are there are jewelers that are five, six century yeah, generation jewelers. And, oh, yeah. you know, here was a little tech girl, <laughs> a corporate tech girl that came along and decided that she was going to try and disrupt the jewellery world. So for me, securing the right team was super important. You know, I remember I, um, I rang up my auntie and I told her, I was like, I'm thinking of leaving my job. I'm thinking of doing this big venture. It's going to be around jewellery and it's going to be antique jewellery and vintage jewellery. And she went, how are you going to know it's real? And that was what I kept coming up against. Like, how do you get people to trust that the stuff that you're selling is genuine? Because, you know, there is yes. loads of fakes all over the market. And so I went away and I'm like, okay, who would you trust if someone said, like, you know, this is a beautiful piece of jewelry? Now, in this country, we have a TV show called The Antiques Roadshow. And it's a great show. You know, people turn up with their trinkets. And sometimes it's jewelry and sometimes it's art. And they have all these amazing Sort of experts there, and sometimes people will go, Oh wow, that's worth a million, and they think it's worth a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then you can see yeah. the ecstatic on their face, and then there's other times you see people turn up with these heirlooms that they think are worth a fortune and actually are just nothing. Um, but anyway, the lady yeah. that does the jewelry, the Antiques Roadshow, is called Joanna Hardy, and she is almost an institution in this country. She's amazing, she's fun, and she's jolly, and she's got a great sense of humor. But underneath all of that, most important, she is a gemologist, an amazing gemologist. And Mm. so I thought, right, well, if if Joey will come on board and work with me and be my head of authentication, then, you know, then how would you think about that? I said to my auntie and she said, then I'd back you the whole way. So really for, for this particular business, it was getting the right people. And I am blessed by having a phenomenal team.
0: Gotcha. And and how did you know it was time to do this full time? How did you know?
1: How did I know? So I had somebody call me up and they said, you know, I was talking to this guy and he's recently retired and he's looking for a project or a a mentee. And, you know, I thought about you because he lives in Switzerland and you're in Switzerland. And he kind of put the two of us together. And it was around about the time that I was thinking about doing this. And I kind of shared it with him. And at some point he kind of ghosted me. And I, I rang up the original guy and I said, like, did I upset him? Did I say something wrong? Like, you know, what did I do? And he goes, yeah, I think he probably just got a bit of impatient because you weren't all in. Like I hadn't thrown in the towel of my job and taken it really uh, seriously. Makes I thought, sense. you know, gosh, that's probably much easier to say if you're a multimillionaire that's just replied, you know, I'm a single dog mom over here. <laughs> and that's quite yeah. a, a big leap. Um, but it did make, it forced me to think about it far more seriously. And when I had, the amazing offer of getting some investment behind me i just thought you know what you only live once and this is an opportunity of a lifetime and i'm going for it but that's also me gotcha. i am someone who goes for
0: it. yeah yeah i mean in this area is a leap of faith it, is. it definitely it's a is it's a leap of faith.
1: Faith. um and you know and, and sometimes like you know you can have the best idea i still think you know star bible was a cracking idea people who are time rich yeah, you know, so people who are time poor but cash rich, when they go away, with they want a curated selection of the best places to go. They don't want to spend two weeks reading a guidebook. But in 2006, that idea was just too early. You know, and sometimes it yes. really is about your timing. And in this instance, as the Financial Times kindly said, her timing is spot on. So now we've really got to ride that wave and take, you know, take full advantage of our first mover advantage, so to speak.
0: And and that that's a great thing to mention because this this is this is your second venture, um, if I have that correctly, yeah. which means you know you, you didn't come out of the gate winning. It wasn't your, your first time. I'm sure you've you've gained some some um, uh, some discoveries on the first go around, oh. and even now this go around. Yeah,
1: I mean, especially I was young then. I was you know in my early twenties. I, I I probably was far cockier than I should have been. You know, I remember I got invited <laughs> to go on Dragons Den. Which I think for you guys is kind of like shark tank. Yeah, shark tank. It's kind of shark tank. Shark tank. Like, yeah. you know, I just launched Style Bible. I was, you know, I was on a high. I was in the press everywhere. I was, I was super excited about launching. I thought I was going to conquer the world with this business, and there I was. I was in New York. And I was doing sort of, you know, getting the US side going. And the BBC rang me, and they were like, "We'd really like to appear on this television show called Dragons Den." But like, no one had heard of it. I think series one was just about to come out or something. So I didn't have like, I hadn't uh, seen it, but this was like, they were like, you're definitely gonna get the money. So I was like, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it. So I got on the plane and I, I came back to the UK and I went to the studio. It's like nine o'clock in the morning, I barely slept. I've written the sort of speech or the pitch on the plane. And I was really nervous and tired and jet lagged. And they said to me, um, yeah, you'll, we'll get you in early. And then they left me sitting in the green room till five o'clock in the afternoon. And by the end of the day, I was head in hands. I was like, please, for the love of God, let me go on. And I, what I thought was going to be an amazing experience, you know, the BBC have always really championed some great business, telev- great business television. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't really reality television wasn't quite so big. And so I got a, a real rude awakening. It was, not a, it was not a fun experience. And I remember at the time thinking I had literally committed professional suicide on national television. I was appalled. My father at the time was so upset with me. I think the only thing he said to me was, you can do better than that. And I, the, the shame that I felt in, I thought it was all over. So I think some of my discoveries are is that even when you crash and burn, actually amazing things come from it, you know? I may not have wowed the dragons, but actually the press loved it. And, you know, in a matter of weeks, I was in the pages of Sunday Times Style, which is a supplement to one of the big Sunday papers here. And that afternoon, I had £80,000 worth of subscriptions in one afternoon.
0: Uh, wow. so, you know,
1: I spent one day in East London filming Dragon's Den, and I came out thinking, oh, my God, what have I done? And then I went to the pub one afternoon with one Great piece of press, and suddenly that business was off the ground, and I hadn't given away any equity. So, my discoveries along the journey have been like: this is a roller coaster. If you choose the life of an entrepreneur, which I do, by the way, I love it, but it's 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 also it's a it's a, it's a rush, but it's frightening too, especially if you have a big. I'm, I'm
0: curious. I'm, I'm curious now. So, what went wrong? during that Dragon's Den panel, what, what oh, went wrong? Gosh, Were you perfect, not prepared? Well, right.
1: So actually there's, uh, there's two bits. So first of all, they invite you up and they say there's this ax and you've got to stand on the ax and then you deliver your pitch. So I go up, the, the sort of elevator doors open and I stand on the ax, but the lighting was, I'm quite a tall girl, but the lighting was about here. So I had got through my pitch, like amazing. It was, I was smashing it. But the heat from the lights were beginning to seriously burn the top of my head. And I remember thinking, just keep going, keep going, keep going. And then in the end, I was like, ow. I, like, and then they were like, cut, cut, cut. Right, go back down the stairs. You've got to do the whole pitch again. Oh. <laughs> so, of course, then the second time I come up, now I'm really nervous because now I was like, I nearly nailed it. And I'm tired and I'm jet lagged and I've been sitting there all day. And, but now they've kind of moved the lights here, like down the sides of me. And now it's baked, and it's really, really hot. And about halfway through my pitch, I felt like, well, I thought I'd wet myself on national television. There was sweat running down the inside of my legs, and I can't tell you how uncomfortable that is. And when you combine it with the tiredness that I felt and the length of the day, I had this, I just lost my train of thought mid-sentence. And I remember standing there Ah. thinking, you know what? Just take a moment, just, Process your thoughts. They'll edit the spit out, and from the minute that you open your mouth, you cannot make another mistake, right? And that's what I did. Right. From the minute I opened my mouth, I made no more mistakes. But oh man, they were so mean to me in editing. It was it was painful. Like a minute silence on television is it's really wow. really not not the one. So that kind of really didn't go so right for me. And then actually, they I think that they actually had some bad feedback. What they said to me was the maximum I could ask for was a quarter of a million pounds. And one of the dragons, which was uh, Peter Jones, said, I actually love this idea, but it's going to take a lot more than 250,000 pounds for you to get this off the ground. And, and he was right, 100 mm-hmm. percent right. Um, and, you know, it, it was gonna, It did take a lot more than that. It took an incredible amount of press and determination. Um, Unfortunately, my parents passed away not long after it launched. And so I had to kind of pivot Mm -hmm. and I went back to corporate life to pay the bills for a while. So, you know, there's, Mm -hmm. was it too early? Absolutely. Would that business have succeeded? I think it would have really.
0: Today? Today?
1: I mean. Today, that business would have been. If I had launched that, say, I would say even six, seven years afterwards, it probably would have been. I mean for the people that used it and we had a we had a decent subscriber base. They loved it. We organized, you know, mm-hmm. we organized upgrades in hotels, we organized flight up you know, flight upgrades on planes, we arranged engagements, like there was some crazy amazing stuff that we organized for our members and we did it on a really small subscription fee when most people were paying concierges thousands of pounds a year to be able to get access to the yeah, service. I hear. I love style Bible. It was amazing and you know, and actually the reality is is that even though that as an e-commerce business wasn't one of the success stories that gets loaded about as the dragons missed it, the contacts that I made through Style Bible within the luxury industry across travel, lifestyle, fashion, and beauty has helped this business infinitely today. I mean, as just to give you it's
0: example, a value in context.
1: Yeah. So, you know the for, context. Yeah, the context. So for example, one of the girls that i used to do some work with was a girl who had a company called buy my wardrobe and she was very much into resale and now recently she's asked me if i want to do an event with with omnic so you know the just because something isn't necessarily a, a runaway success when it comes to how much money it's generated the people that you meet the contacts that you make you know, along the way, they all contribute to the, the venture that works.
0: I'm curious now for something else. So within that first year for your current business, yeah, what was something that you thought would be a bit easier, but once you got into it, it came with some world of challenges and how did you handle those challenges?
1: Okay. So a couple of ones here. So I'd say that the PR we got right, really right off the bat, really amazing. The marketing, the um, the digital marketing was harder. Getting those, you know, getting mm. the adverts, you know, there's, do you know how, I, I've probably interviewed 16 digital marketing agencies and they all say the mm. right thing. They all talk about the yes. case studies and they give you the RAS and it sounds great and they're going to come out the gates, you know, and actually yeah. they don't. I wish that they did.
0: They all take you to dinner.
1: They all take you to dinner, yeah. and you know what? I, as someone who works in tech, they are that they, they speak the right language. And sometimes that's the sales guy that speaks the right language before he passes you over to the team. And then you know, mm-hmm. I've I've lost. I would say I, I'd say the the hardest thing to get right has been the digital advertising, and I'm I'm not entirely there yet either. So that's a challenge I'm still mm-hmm. overcoming. The other thing was, I guess, was Actually, you know, when we first launched, we didn't get the collection 100% right. You know, some of that's time, it's seeing what the trends are, looking at what people are looking for, seeing what the personal mm-hmm. shoppers are being asked for, and really kind of getting to know your audience as that audience kind of builds, if you see what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so-
0: Got you. Got you. So the digital marketing piece... Sounds like, uh, knowing your customer was, was a little slower to the party, Yeah, uh, was there. And then with the digital marketing piece, I think that's an issue that a lot of businesses today are are struggling with. It's a, it's a, it's a, one of the strongest problems. You know, people are kind of confused about whether to do Facebook ads or, or TikTok ads or Google ads or Pinterest ads, so many different There's even Twitter ads, yeah. you know, and you got to figure out which one is best for your business. Uh, and then there's some, you know, cascading, uh Uh, points that you have to be able to hit even within each of those ad platforms. And so what's something that in the digital marketing side that you've struggled, that you struggle with even today?
1: I think as well, some of it is, you know, sometimes you, you work with agencies and they give you these amazing reports and they're huge (laughs) and they've got, there's just so Mm -hmm. much in them, but actually there's no English you know it's 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 one thing is to have your data the second is to be able to translate that into um mm. assumptions or to come to conclusions about mm. the data that you have you know i i I've, yes. I've received reports which you know even being somebody who comes with a a tech background i look at it and i'm like oh, where where's my highlights tell me like where's the bit yes. that says we noticed that this was yes. super popular so you should push more of this um, you know, yeah, I think that there's a. Sometimes I think, and I, I tend to find actually, the better someone is, the, the 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 more layman's terms that they use, the more that they break it down. I don't need a 24-page gotcha. report. I need a one-page report. Um,
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. You know, and
1: I, and some of that is trial and error. You know, I mean, and and sometimes mm-hmm. it's potluck, You know, that we work with a really great agency. That does these marketing funnels for us which is different to sort of driving people to the website to actually buy the jewelry so we have this booklet it's a downloadable booklet it talks about vintage jewelry the things to look out for current trends how to authenticate and it's like a really nice booklet if you're into jewelry so we've had since the first of december we've had 236 people download it and then they enter into this eight-week funnel and we send them one email a week and it just tells them about jewellery care. It might be a piece on pearls one week. It's about diamonds. It could be rubies, sapphires, remodeling jewellery. But it's like a really nice eight week sort of storytelling of about jewellery. And from that, we've had 31 personal shopping inquiries. So sometimes uh, you know, like now I that guy that that agency, I they I went through one of that funnels just like that and that's how i started working with them and out of all of the agencies there was something about them that that really sort of stuck out to me now with them i've been able to have very measurable sort of you know kpis we know how many people downloaded the booklet we know where they are in the funnel we know how many inquiries we've Mm. had and we can measure sales against that you know and that and that appears to be working the digital advertising is a little more hit and miss. We haven't found that consistency where we're hitting the right audience with the right ad, where those conversions really are starting to build. But we'll get that.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that seems to be, um, you know, making good decisions based upon the data that you have or the data that you know, uh, you know that that you're, that you're assuming or comparing up against. Actually, it's. I think it's something that, especially after your first year of business. After you do a, a good job at collecting decent data, um, being able to make decisions and tell stories based upon that data seems to to help people along with making you know decisions. Like uh, knowing how long someone uh, maybe you know stayed on one particular product, right, or maybe re- recording their online process process to see you know where exactly did they fall off in your funnel process, so that you can kind of refine it a bit differently. Um, that part is, is yeah. it, it's, uh, and, and, it's tough. Know,
1: and you don't have to understand that yourself. I mean, you know, when you talk about discoveries, um, you know, I remember years and years ago, I read a book by Tim Ferriss called the four hour work week. Um, mm, yes. yeah, and I, have met him and I, I told you, you know, I love that book because it did give you some really practical shortcuts. And you know, like, one of them, for example, is like freelancer.com. Now, you can go on freelance.com and you can post a project like at one point that I did. I'm looking for somebody that understands analytics, that has an ability to translate Mm -hmm. data into actionable advice that, you know, can interpret data for me. And, you know, there's this, I work with a team. He's actually an individual guy. He's based out in India. Um, He's paid more than the market rate in India, but he's paid a lot less than the market rate in somewhere like the UK or Switzerland, where I currently am and actually now something like freelancer.com has enabled me to find somebody that I can afford where I'm still paying them well where I'm getting reports that give me insight to the data that I have one thing is capturing the data the second one is understanding it and the you know and being able to make changes based on it or assumptions based on it so I definitely say that one of them, so getting help, yeah, it, it, that, that,
0: getting that, help where you can.
1: That's an area where you know it doesn't have to cost. You don't have to have a huge agency doing that for you. You just need someone that can read data.
0: Yeah, I know one of the more one of the popular platforms here were Freelancer and Fiverr. Fiverr is definitely yeah. growing a lot of popularity here in the US. I
1: hear too. I think um, Fiverr's kind of. I would say that Freelancer, from my understanding, has a lot more. Sorry, Fiverr has sort of a, probably a higher hourly rate. Let's put it that way.
0: Ah, that's nice to know. I would say, that's yeah, nice yeah that kind of, of
1: if you're, you know, there's some projects with you know that actually the design's not that important; it's just the functionality of getting it working. There are some, like for example, if you are Omni, you're positioned in it as a luxury brand. That look and feel is, is super important. I, I also would say that I Fiverr, from my, from what I understand, and I might be wrong here, but there's it's quite heavy on design too.
0: It's very heavy on design. There, there's function. There's function there, but it's typically for the more popular technologies. Yeah. Uh The most popular technologies. Yes. Yes. Um, okay. And uh, all right. So, um, if you could, if you could give our audience here, let let's say, you know, um, you know, that there, there, there's a person, uh, within the UK or in the US, they're they're young, they're trying to get started. Um, and they're trying to get started within the jewelry business what would be what what would the best two tips you could give them um actually I'll give yeah two tips best two tips you could give them uh and and that in hopes of pushing them forward at the beginning
1: gosh it's difficult because it depends whether it's it's a whether it's a brand usually that sort of a a designer i um i guess one is to really try and understand who you're selling to because that's super important, you know, you can make the most beautiful pieces, but if you're selling to the wrong audience, so I'd say definitely understanding your customer, understanding your segment, jewelry's big. You know, as I I discovered, it's not just, I'm gonna do jewelry, I'm actually going to do vintage jewelry, um, or that there's a specific genre. You know, there's, um, there's this really, really cool jeweller. She makes these little porcelain. Um, they're like little pendants, but she hand paints them all. And they're quite rude. Some of them say things like, fuck this. And they're just playful and joyful. Yeah. You know, and that's all she yeah. makes. She films that She puts them in a kiln. And they just have these rude, cheeky little expressions on them. And that's all she does. And, you know, she's got a drop on Valentine's Day. It opens at 7 o'clock. I guarantee you by 10 past 7, every single piece of that jewellery will be gone and you you go and look at her instagram feed and it will say oh man i really hope i get one this time i've set my alarm like people are obsessed with getting these charms and you know yes. when you talk about you know what does she do yeah she's a jeweler but actually she literally makes these tiny little porcelain charms that go on necklaces that's how very niche that she is so i would say you really need to understand you know what it which segment you're in and and, and who your customer is mm-hmm.
0: All right, uh one more, yeah, one more left, yeah, one more magic wish,
1: one more magic wish, um I guess the other one i this actually doesn't just apply to the jewelry industry, you know if you don't ask, you don't get is one, and so I think that even when you you think you can't do something, be cheeky, ask, you know, like what's the worst that someone can do is say no, you know i right. you know who right. would have thought in a million years that. Joanna Hardy that I've watched while I've been at my auntie's house on a Sunday on the television would end up (laughs) authenticating the jewellery that I'm selling through a vintage platform. You know, it's amazing what you can do when you invite someone for lunch. You know, quite often they're intrigued. They come, they say, yes, you have a nice lunch, you get to speak to somebody. So I think that just that kind of just being persistent, being polite. And the other thing from the flip side of that is also paying it forwards, because once you ask, it's lovely to get, um, but actually being able to pay that forwards and helping other people along the way, once you've kind of got there, that's super important too, because people remember kindness.
0: Okay. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because there, there are going to be people that will come after you and they're going to appreciate, you know, how you paid it forward to them. And it, it creates a, a good cycle yeah. of, uh, of goodness, a good cycle of karma. I, a,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Alright, so before we wrap up, uh, is there anything you would like to let the audience know before we depart?
1: Oh, I would love the audience um, to go and have a look at Omnique. Uh, follow us on Instagram. Social proof is super hard. We're, we're about 3,200 followers. So. If you are a jewelry fan, I would love you to follow us and, and spread the word. And, you know, and if you ever, if there's any male listeners listening that are thinking about getting engaged, like we have the most incredible personal shopping service. <laughs> and, you know, if you're a little bit worried about buying jewelry, that we are the girls. We're like, I say that we're like a modern day get out of jail free card. It's like having a WhatsApp number <laughs> instead of a get out of jail free card, because you will never be in the doghouse when you have my WhatsApp number. <laughs>
0: I'll, I'll make sure I put that in my back pocket in case I need it. Thank
1: you. <laughs> I can't imagine that you would right. ever be in the doghouse with that smile. You just, okay. I know it's, it's. I, I hope not. No, you'd never be in the doghouse.
0: I hope not. Well, I've, I appreciate you so much for joining me on this. I'm actually very excited about this. Again, this is my, you're my first guest. Oh, thank so you. I'm, I'm, very I'm excited about really this.
1: super honored that you chose to, to, to have me on first. Thank you. Of
0: Of course. Of course.